Hey guys, today I sat with the the founders of Telesin, Tony Patella and Pete Searson. We talked about all things denim. We talked about marketing tactics. We talked about their business philosophies. We also learned a lot about the stylings of denim. The show is brought to you by Town Park. Our mission is to brew the best pint for a diverse flavor palette, perfect for sharing with friends from all walks. Blue collar, white collar, and no collar. We believe in beer, we believe in people, and we believe in a good time. The guys on this show, I only talk about stuff that pertains to me, selfishly. These guys have an amazing craft brewery in Anaheim, California. They got a great tap room with, I think, 16 beers on tap. I love their beer. I love their product. That's why I'm talking about it on my show. Go check them out if you're in town. And if you are in town, definitely go pick some up. Town Park. On the Brevity Code podcast, we'll explore a wide range of topics from the very people that give form and color to our world. We'll hear from artists, brand builders, industry leaders, pro athletes, fitness and endurance coaches, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and many others. Through their actions, they enrich us with their vision, creativity, and bravery. Our guests have all been successful by flying in the face of conventional wisdom. We'll learn from them the ways in which we can apply that very knowledge to our own path and toward our own self-fulfillment. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Brevity Code. Today on the podcast, we have got the Denim Guys from Telesin, which is a premium denim brand, one of my favorites. Uh, they're NorCal-based, uh, founded in 2009, uh, Tony Patella and Pete Searson. We are uh, going to be talking all things denim today. We're, we're also going to talk about etiquette in denim, how to wash denim, how to buy denim, what to look for, as well as dive into some of their business philosophies, which I think are are really intriguing and really going to be a nice palate cleanse for us uh, as we hear the world of big business and more sales. Uh, these guys have a really great business approach and way of thinking. So, Tony and Pete, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Nice to hear from you, man. So, I want to start off with this one. Um, I was uh, talking to a psalm on a recent trip to Napa, and I turned to him and said, what is the best wine? What's the best bottle of wine, in your opinion? What's the best brand? And he kind of paused, and he was quiet, and he turned to me, and he said, the best bottle of wine is the one you like, the, is the one you like drinking the most. And while I find that answer politically correct and, and also very appropriate, it also speaks volumes. And I was wondering if the same could be said about denim in general or do you guys feel like that's not the case is there just good denim and crap denim well on a, on a macro level if, if you wear a pair of jeans frequently then that's a good pair but on a micro level the way we look at things is that there are certain things besides just the fabric and the sewing the methods of sewing etc and details that we look at to make sure that that particular pair of jeans was made by somebody who's actually a gene maker, not just a clothing designer, but someone who spends all day, every day on jeans. And that can be at any price point. You know, I've seen awful jeans at $400 mm. from that perspective and great ones for a hundred. So, uh, and, just, t- and taste is different than, than physical material. You know, I mean, I think the wine comment is absolutely on point and, um, but I think when it comes to denim or building a house or having a tool, there's obviously uh, uh, qualitative measures that you can literally measure. You know, if it's under a microscope and you're measuring the length of the fiber or the strength of the steel or whatever, I mean, you're not going to build a house with balsa wood. You know, you're going you're gonna to spend some money on good lumber, which physically, you know, it's just better. There's more integrity in that lumber or that steel or whatever. I mean, that stuff can be measured. And in a way, um, the, the choices we make with raw materials certainly qualifies, uh, you know, there's qualitative measure that we take in place that, you know, like there's no microscope, but you know, it's better. And the, you know, the, the truth is in, uh, in test of time with how it wears in and all that, but it has to do with, where you started, you know, right. was it phenomenal fabric? Was it, was it based on a yarn that was spun this way or whatever? There's a lot of things go into it. The end consumer really, I don't think they care very much about that, but if we do our job on front and make those decisions and selections based on qualitative notions, then, you know, that's, that's, that's your best foot forward. And Ryan, you know, another interesting point is that I think we talked about this back 10 years ago, probably was, um, 
you know, if you're a jeans maker, you have to realize that most guys cannot articulate what it is about this one particular jean that they own that they wear more often than all the others. They just say they like them. But right. as a jeans maker, you have to build that in, which maybe confidence they have when they put their hand in the pocket and they realize it's really heavyweight. They're not worried that their phone's going to break through. Or, you know, of course, fit. There's a lot of details that go into the, the construction of a fit that make a jean some guy's favorite. Um, but for me, another thing that's really important, and maybe it's just a little bit psychotic, but provenance matters a lot to me in all products I buy. For instance, for us, when we started making our jeans in San Francisco, not only because we're here, but because this is the home of blue jeans, to us, it's really important that they come from here for as long as possible. And it's the same thing with, you know, I've never had a, and speaking of wine, I've never had a Italian grape varietal grown and fruit and made into wine from anywhere else as good as it comes from Italy. I think it's because it's supposed to come from there. That soil, Sangiovese, for instance, should come from Tuscany. Nebbiola should come from Piemonte and efforts to grow it and, and make wine out of it from other areas. It's just not the same. Maybe the soil, the terroir, whatever it may be. And so I just feel that way about a lot of products and right. uh, in jeans, you know, it just makes sense. And so on that notion, you know, why is it so important that denim and jeans be manufactured in America? Or is that, it's not, I know it's not the point, but to your point, you know, soils to the wine, yeah. is denim is to America? Well, I just think, you know, over time, I and mean, we see all these products that were originally from a certain place get made elsewhere just for lower cost production or uh, expediency when it comes to wherever the certain market is. And I'm not saying you cannot make a proper pair of jeans anywhere in the world if you do it the right way with the right materials. It's just that there's something that feels better to us, at least, and me, about making it in its original home, you know? Um, and why is it important to make jeans in America? Well, for those reasons, but also because people make a living making the jeans, you know? And uh, a lot of yeah. people lose sight of the fact when they hear about factories closing or whatever, it's not just the couple hundred or a thousand people lose their job, but the ripple effect on their families and their communities is tremendous. And, you know, it's, it's a news thing for about a week and then people forget about it and move on. But those people who were affected by it and their families and their suppliers for the factory, et cetera, locally, those guys are affected forever. You know, right. it's just not, um, it's just a very short sighted way of thinking all in the name of, of cheaper, 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 and more, 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 you know? And, and Brian, it's, it's, uh, so much of what we do is, uh, more complicated path, you know? I mean, we could jump into the denim circus with everybody else and, um, raise a bunch of money and start, you know, running advertisements and PR people to put stuff on celebrities' backs and all that stuff. And you know us, man. That's just not we're the op we're the opposite of that. Yeah, and God bless it. And and I want to unpack that as we as we progress in this uh, talk yeah. today. And and I I, I agree. And, and for those listening, like I think what Pete's saying, there's a lot of people that talk that talk, uh, but really don't walk that walk. So they they may say that you know we're not participating with, you know, a celebrity endorsement deal, but on the down low, they're sliding them all kinds of products. And right. I don't know. I just think there's, there's a, a genuineness that comes through with what you guys are doing and delivering. Um, I mean, you've been at it for quite a few years now and, and I, I, you know, I don't want to go there cause I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways that you guys approach business. But before that, let's, let's maybe take one step backwards as we were talking about the importance of denim in America. And let me see if I have the, the story of this, um, the Cone Mills closure, the white oak plant. So let me see if I have that right. So, and, and again, I, I don't know. You know, maybe it's because we're sort of near and dear to the apparel business and the clothing business. So this news sort of presents itself and maybe the, the rest of the world out there is sort of deaf to it. But I think it is one of those, um, you know, uh, closures. It's an American institution that was shuttered. It's, from my understanding, dating back 125 years. So yeah, Tony, uh, Ryan, real quick, Tony will go on about this. I know he's, he's got a lot to say, as I do too. But yeah. quickly, this on the American, on the Americana um, notion that you just mentioned, um, you know, this isn't a, a, a lawn chair factory that's been around for a hundred years, which would also be a bummer or a tool company or a hat company. I don't know. It, it, 
it matters, but it kind of doesn't matter sometimes. When you're talking about the Americana, uh, the, the iconic, there's a handful of iconic things that are, you know, ultimately American. And right. gosh, if denim isn't at the very top of that heap on a, on a sort of a, certainly a fashion level, but certainly a cultural level right. as well, then it's very, very close. And so that's, that's the, that's the kicker, you know, right. it's not bullshit. It's not a tool company. It's, denim i mean you got to think of like the bruce springsteen album with the american flag a white t-shirt a bandana and sure. a pair of 501s you sure. know like that's well why did he why did he do that because that dude he's bruce you know like yeah. he's america he's a rock and roll dude so um i'll let tony go from there but that's it's not just a, like i said you heard what i said yeah cool yeah tony you want to you want to take us through that through well, this to me to me um the closure of the cone mills white oak plant which is just one of their many plants that they have around the world. But this was the last one in America making really high quality, not only salvage denim, which we always use, but also really good high quality, wider fabric that can be used for lower price jeans. Um, and the sadness of it is, is obviously it's that that particular factory was in operation since 1905. You know, they were selling millions and millions and millions of yards a year to Levi for years and years and years and decades. And, even companies like The Gap, I worked there before Paul Frank for about six months in their men's denim department, and the biggest project I worked on, the last one, was 500,000 pair for the U.S. men's market. The jeans were actually cut, sewn, and washed in Mexico, but the fabric came from Cone Mills, White Oak, and Greensboro. It was 900,000 yards of fabric, 38 truckloads going from Greensboro to the Yucatan. Wow. Be cut and sewn. And that was all, and that's when Cone Mills, White Oak, you know, was in its heyday, shipping thousands and thousands of million, you know, let's put it this way. They were shipping 70 to 90 million yards a year at their height. At the end, they were shipping three to 4 million total. And what happened was around the early 2000s to the mid 2000s, Mexico production became too expensive for Gap and Levi and all these mass retailers. So you're not going to ship fabric from Greensboro to China. So they buy fabric made in China for that. And that's a whole nother conversation, but um, that was sort of the beginning of the end. And, you know, that white oak plant in its heyday had about 12 to 1,600 people working there. Towards the end, they had less than 200. Um, the section that made our salvage was 3% of the total space of the building. The building was 1.4 million square feet. <laughs> Dude, that's there a massive only, facility. It is, yeah. and there was only, you know, the section that made the salvage denim that we use on the old looms was tiny compared in comparison to the whole size, but it needed to be part of something bigger because that's where the cotton would come in on the one end. It would be cleaned and carded and then it would be turned into yarns and indigo dyed and then woven on these machines and vampirized and shipped out. And, um, but it could not survive on its own, the, the salvage section. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's easy. I'll get back to that micro and macro thing on a macro level. It's easy to blame Levi and Gap and all these big companies for offshoring their production places where you're not going to ship fabric from North Carolina to, but they're only reacting to the marketplace, you know? And so yeah. on a micro level, it's really about the consumer just demanding lower and lower and lower prices. You know, um, mm-hmm. I did some math recently online, a pair of jeans that in the 1960s cost $45 is the equivalent of over $300 today in today's money. Mm-hmm. Yet people had no problem spending that, that percentage of their income on a pair of jeans because they, they saw the value of made in USA and they saw the value of the quality built in. And now it seems like more and more and more consumers are just concerned with buying more stuff at a really low price. Mm. And that's not congruent with made in America with American fabric because our standard of living and cost of living is too high, even even in uh, traditional manufacturing areas. So, you know, I think what would blow a lot of people away is to know that the average retail price of a pair of jeans sold in America today is around $20. Is that right? Well, you know, you have Kirkland jeans from Costco. Sweet. You have thousands of pairs per day being sold at Walmart for $13.99. And it's just not possible to to make those here with fabric from here. You know, I mean, our pocketing material is made here. And that that costs us more per yard just for our pocket material than the denim that goes into a pair of $13 jeans. Right. You know, it's just, and, and at the end of the day, again, it's it sucks for the whole idea of you know American manufacturing and you know for us because we're so passionate about Cone Mills White Oak, but we'll be fine. You know, I mean, we, we have alternatives in a very high quality uh, denim making country in Japan, 
Um, but it really, at the end, it, it, it sucks the worst for the people who work there. You know, what are they going to do now? I mean, I met a guy when we were there about three years ago who had been who had been working there for sixty years, yeah. and his son worked there too. What are they going to do? You know, uh, that's yeah. that's the really tragic part of it. Yeah, and and it's my understanding you guys you had purchased a bunch upon the closure too, so you guys have a supply like a stock of this stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, when we we found out on October eighteenth, that's kind of our nine eleven in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, that that this was going to happen, but I was not surprised that it was going to happen because a year prior to that, they told us we were the White Oaks' fourth largest customer. We're two guys, you know. Yeah. We're their fourth largest customer. And I'm not just talking about the salvage section. I'm talking about the whole place, the 1.4 million square yard, yeah, square feet. Um, that's why I got nervous. So we sort of really became judicious with our use of our fabric. We um, and yeah, on October 18th, we placed an order for thousands of yards arrived here via train and is now sitting in our studio in Sausalito uh, for use that uh, in probably the next 12 to 15 months we should be be able to use this fabric but we had to step up and buy a ton of it and get it made before they closed because they, they did close on December 31st so I gotta ask this and because you guys are into this are you guys gonna hold some lot back and call it you know like a reserve are you in other words, I mean, yeah. this is this is this is it's gold. It's 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 beyond gold. It's um, it's yeah. a finite amount. What 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 yeah. is? Tell me about we that. We are gonna we are gonna do that. We're gonna we're gonna afford a few extra rolls of yeah. one of the three fabrics we have, and maybe down the line in three or four years, we'll put out a special collection of a hundred pieces or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, once it's gone, it's gone, never to be yeah. duplicated or recreated. Uh, speaking of that, do you have any idea with some of the some of the antique or not antique some of the vintage equipment that they've got probably from the turn of century there? Do you know are there large other denim manufacturers, even guys in Mexico that are still putting out a quality product? Would they would they be interested in equipment like that? Does that does that make they, any difference at all? Or, or? It, well, it, they would they would definitely be interested in it, but at the moment there's no plans to, from what I understand, from Cone Mills because again Cone Mills is still in operation as a business. Right. It's just not fabric there anymore, or in the, in the U.S. anymore, for that matter. But they're they're not in any hurry to get rid of those machines because those the the looms that made our salvage fabric that are are from you know turn of century in the 30s and 40s are called Draper looms, and Draper's been out of business for decades. And so the only people that really know how to operate those looms were the people that worked there. They're not used anywhere else in the world anymore. Mm. Wow. And when the loom would break. You can't get online or call someone and order a part. You have to manufacture the part, and the only people who know how to do that are there as well. I mean, those mm-hmm. looms—if you saw them—and you could, people can find pictures of them online, but they're basically steel, wood, and leather. You know, and they're noisy, and they're 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 antiques. But the thing that that makes them, in our mind, really precious and important, besides their history, is the fact that they are unique in the way they create the denim because they're so old that they, they create fabric with really unique characteristics that's different than right. fabric on modern looms. And also, they can only produce five yards per hour per loom. And right. it takes almost three yards for one pair of jeans because it's so narrow. Uh, it's you know, 30, inches, 30 inches wide. So, I mean, when you, when you do the math on that, we need, we need about seven hours of loom time to make two pair of jeans. <laughs> Right, you know, it's incredible. It's right, really but that's part of the beauty. You know, it's the old way, and uh, absolutely right. That's that's what makes it special. I mean, that's right. That's amazing. So, the next, where is the next frontier? I mean, obviously, you know, the Japanese have been the 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 students of the world as far as some of the most, I think, precious uh, Americana, uh, which which may sound like a weird sentence, but that's true. Um, are they the next torchbearers of the premium denim movement that's going to continue? Like, where where, where do you see that evolving? I mean, it's obviously yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's been going on in you know from Japan for a long time now. Uh, I mean, we we have a hundred you know massive respect and a hundred percent back of the Japanese efforts because they they do everything at a really high level of quality. Um, in fact, we've for years now have got all of our black denim from there. Almost all of our shirting, especially fabrics, come from there because they they're available. And they're very high quality. Um, but, you know, I think many people who study this part of the business or have a passion for Americana would agree that the Japanese have been doing Americana better than we have, mm-hmm. honestly, for years now. Mm-hmm. In other words, they just take everything to the next level and they're very passionate about the whole thing. 
And um, so, you know, our endeavor will be in the next several months to partner with the mill over there to sort of recreate our three fabrics that we made here, here in the U.S. with regard to shade and weight and feel and color so that on a retail level, uh, if you see a stack of our jeans in a store that's been a customer for us for a long time and they're just sort of you know bleeding through their white oak fabric from us, they can blend in their, their next uh, fabric from us, which will come from Japan. And hopefully at the way it sits on the shelf, it'll look very similar and over time perform the same way. And right. Ryan, um, uh, you know, as far as Japanese leading the pack and all that, it's, 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 that's a pretty broad stroke and like, what is the pack, you know? Is it a guy that just loves denim? Is it a factory that loves making the fabric for blue jeans? I mean, what's, what's your measuring stick, you know? I mean, yeah. I would say that, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we go, to, we go to Japan a lot. We've got a nice business there and we have major respect. And you, walk, you get on a plane on the way back and you're just like, man, you're, your mind's always blown, even if you've been there, t- you know, 20 times. Yeah. Um, it's just how they do things. And yeah. With regard to denim, though, it's really in the eyes of the beholder in a lot of ways. You know, they might, they might think their denim, is, you know, I don't think in the Japanese head they're thinking, ours is the best. You know, I don't, I don't think that's the deal at all. Because, yeah. one, if they look, they're going to really think that through before they give an opinion about that. And they are going to think about, well, how can we possibly you know, be the best in, in anyone's eyes, and maybe they are, but it's like that whole culture, that life of wearing a pair of blue jeans came from us, right? I mean, we did it, America did it first. So yeah. in a way, that weights heavy on the opportunity for to, to always have American, again, not on top, but just like the, 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 the jugular of denim life came from here with mm. these old photos we all know yeah. and love, Marilyn Monroe and, uh, and a farmer and a rockabilly dude on salt flats you know right like that's i don't i don't remember seeing like pictures from the 20s jap i mean they they have some beautiful photography but i don't think it was a denim thing and that obviously came later post-world war ii and into the you know more modernization of industry and these big machines and then they simultaneously fall in love with hollywood and james dean and motorcycles and then boom, and then they have a rich history of textiles, obviously, and then they, they're making their own denim, which is fantastic. So to some, it certainly is the best for these reasons. For others, you know, it, it ain't. But um, you, know, you have to look, it just depends on how you look at it. You know, like I always, you know, I, I love what they do. And, um, you know, I've been, you, you know we've, we've been, you and I have been there together. It's like, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, how a Japanese dude rolls down the street on any given day is impeccable and right. so thoughtful and right. so thought out and so such an appreciation you can tell with the outfit that they put together but not to be fashionable but just to be like this is what I'm about I, you know this is, right. look at this boot you know I've got this beautiful old you know uh, red wing or yeah. whatever they're wearing and they just there's real pride and there's real appreciation for super high quality and as Tony said earlier, the whole providence of things, you know. I mean, we, we, we thought that when a Japanese customer goes into a really nice shop, they're not necessarily there to buy. And maybe it's kind of a research thing. Like, I've got a few minutes. I'm going to go start looking at blue jeans right now, you know. And then they buy like a month later because they've made it a smart decision. And maybe, and, 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 and we say like, maybe it's by virtue of the size of the closet that they have in their apartment in Tokyo, you know. Right. Like, there's right. not, there's no, you're not like, Hey, I'm buying excess, man. Look right. at, I got all this space. Like they have no space. Right. They have a couple pairs of shoes. They have some great shirts, but not too much of it. You know, they buy what they need. And so they're going to spend their money. And I'd like to Tony to tell a quick story about that with his visit to Calabria back in the day with his pharmacy. I remember the dude who the family member had a pharmacy. Like what's, he had two, like one pair of shoes. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that, I've always loved that story. Yeah. Like, Ryan, you know, we visited a family in Southern Italy for the first time ever in 2001. And we were there for four days and the first relative we met was dressed really nice, you know, I mean, but they don't have a lot of money down there, you know? And then the next day he was wearing something else. On the third day we saw him we went to his house for dinner. He was wearing the same thing he was wearing on the first day. And out of curiosity, I, I kind of snuck away and I looked at his closet and the only other thing he had was what he was wearing the day before. But it was all, everything was Ferragamo, Dolce Gabbana. He, you know, he literally had two pair of shoes, two really nice pair of pants, and two really nice shirts, <laughs> and that's it. 
I love you know? that. Right. But it was all high quality, and the Japanese are very much that way, too. So, of course, they're going to take that that road when they come down to making fabric or anything else. You know, it's just um, the quality level is really high. And I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember if he just said it or not, but, you know, we know for a fact that there are people, A, that do not buy our jeans right now because it is not Japanese denim because some people believe that is the only way to go. Mm. And then there are people who do buy our jeans because they want to support Cone Mills, White Oak and us. And they, yeah. and they, they, and they're part of that, that crew. And, you know, once we make the transition in the next 12 to 15 months in our Indigo denim to Japanese, when we run out of this Cone Mill stuff, well, and those guys who never bought it can now jump on board. And, and the other ones who bought it because it was Cone Mills, White Oak, will you know, understand that they're gone and us being their fourth biggest customer shows that we did everything we possibly could to support them. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, it just came down to economics at, at some point, I guess. Right. It's such a bigger, um, it's a bigger statement you're making with this, this, uh, Italian relative of yours, you know, this, this idea of American consumerism and consumption, um, instead of, being thoughtful and curated and careful and picking the right pair of jeans, you know, we buy, we go, you know, shallow and wide, you know, we buy eight to 10 pairs and they're disposable right. and they're cheap. And do you guys ever feel like you're fighting a feudal fight? I mean, really? Like it, no, no, because, like, <laughs> well, of course in a way, but you know, our, 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 our designs and our idea have never been to be mass, you know, I mean, if we yeah. wanted to be mass, we would be making our jeans in Bangladesh and selling them for, $29, you know, I mean, that's what the marketplace is, but we, we always talk about how our goal is to convert one guy at a time to this yeah. way, because once yeah. you get a pair of jeans like this and you start out raw and they're uncomfortable for two weeks, but then they, you turn a corner and they become really comfortable and unique to you. And literally once you do this process, they become an art project and there's not another pair of jeans in the world just like yours because everything on them is what you put into it yeah. through your daily life, you know? And, um, so one guy at a time, you know, and usually we have a lot of repeat customers, not only at the retail level, but on our website, we can see that. And, you know, it's what we believe in. I mean, I, Pete and I both only have one pair of jeans each one right. because we, we wear them. I wear them, I'm wearing them right now and I'll wear them for another year and then I'll repair them and then we'll put them, we'll hang them on the wall here and I'll start another pair. But why do I need more than one? You know, I mean, right. um, I have more than one. I rotate them, but neither one of them or if I have five, one of the five uh, will never become broken in properly. They'll never, be, never become interesting. You know, it's right. just it's more about utility uh, and and uh, absolutely less about quantity. You know, right. and there's just a point in time. I, I don't know. I can't pinpoint it exactly. Probably during certainly during my lifetime, though, that there are American consumers in general just became more concerned with quantity versus quality, and price yeah. meant everything because. You can't, most people can't afford to have quantity at high prices, you know? Yeah. And there's just this people in America and maybe around the world too. I don't see it as much in Europe and Japan, but you know, that just get this big high out shopping and they buy things they don't even need just because it's on sale or something, you know, it's just this yeah. stuff. And you know, it's, it, it, it's just not the way to do things because it, there's just no, there's no, uh, there's no way that, that all can be quality. Yeah. yeah let's jump into you you mentioned it sort of this idea and i love it of you know literally one person one customer at a time ha establishing that relationship and having them love those pair of jeans and coming back to you for another pair when those things have blown out or you know if there's a new limited launch whatever can you speak a little bit more about the the growth strategy for a company that and i, I mean this with all due respect that prides itself on being small as opposed to this mass play, which, look, you guys have been well-kept for, for a number of years now, well beyond the threshold um, of what most companies typically do as a strategy when they're going top-down. You know, the, the idea is to go, you know, place yourself premium, you know, then you know, three to five years, whatever, when there's, there's a, a glimmer of demand out there, you open up distribution, you go wider, you chase it, you lower your price, price points, you expand right. your offering, all that stuff. You guys looked at that model and went, we ain't doing it. But I think that opportunity is, is staring you in the face. So I, I have much respect for, for not doing it. So how, what is the growth strategy or is there a growth strategy? Is it a, is it a maintain strategy? Like what, how do well, you, 
We did we did about a year, a year and a half ago, come up with a secondary line called Telus and Stock that is still made in San Francisco. It's just using wider fabric from mm-hmm. cone mills, not selvage. And so it's cut and sewn in the same place in San Francisco. It's just not selvage and therefore can retail for $99 on a pair of jeans. Um, and, and, and we did that to accommodate the guy mainly who it's almost like a gateway gene to <laughs> our salvage stuff because right. there are, there are plenty of guys, you know, living where we live, there's plenty of money. It's not a, for a lot of guys. It's not about, can I spend $230 on a pair of salvage jeans? It's like, I've never spent more than $40 on a pair of jeans, even though I drive a Maserati, you know, and I live in a $3 million home or whatever the case may be. It's just, they don't in their mind have this thing where they think they can spend that much on a pair of jeans because they never have. And when we've spent a lot of time talking to consumers, whether it be via email or sometimes we'll just call people at their phone numbers on their order and ask them a question and we do little events in stores and it's just guys want to buy our stuff because they love our story, where it's made, the provenance of the fabric, et cetera, but they just can't pull the trigger on $230 on a pair of jeans. Um, so that's why we came up with this lower price one so that they will have a lower entry point. And certainly 99 isn't still more than most jeans that are sold in the U.S. cost, but that's as low, literally as low as we could go at a retail level. That's such a great uh, value because they're getting such a thoughtful pair too, you know, yeah, even at $99 for sure. Yeah, and we've seen, as we hoped and expected, you know, over time, especially on our website, we've seen guys who bought those. So first-time consumer on our website buys the $99 jean, and then six months later steps up and buys a pair of salvage because he now understands the yeah. value of of raw denim and the quality that goes into making the way we do it. So, right. you know, it's had that effect. And the other one of the reasons we did that was to buy even more fabric from cone mills to do what we could, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. So, but you know, in, in general, right. I mean, you know, one way that we can sort of, you know, exist for nine years now and, and certainly many more is by doing things the way we do it is it's what we believe in personally. You know, I mean, it was never about, like I said a bit ago, it was never about mass. It was an easy money. There's there's a lot of opportunity there, but that's not our thing personally. And so what do we do is we keep it tight. You know, we don't have a, we have no staff. I mean, we have a, some accountants and, but you know, every yeah. pair of jeans that goes out of the door here or gets picked up at the factory is by Pete and me. Yeah. And, you know, we literally touch every product that goes out and reinspect everything ourselves. So, when something lands on a store somewhere around the world, it's fully checked out. And, and, and Ryan, if you know, as you know, we're old goats now at 53 years old this year. So, <laughs> you know, we're, the, 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 the temptation to join the hustle just isn't there. Yeah. Because, you know, you could, you could pretend to look away, but Tony and I, man, we just, we don't look, we never looked in the first place. Yeah. You know, not, not at this age. So by, by not spending energy and time, on the hustle yeah. allows us to further kind of curate our, our brand and what we're about that has, you know, hasn't stepped away from the beginnings at all. Uh, even as an example, our, our best selling gene still is the John Graham Miller slim straight fit. That was what we brought. That's what brought us to the dance yeah. you know, nine years ago. Um, and that we, we only had that one fit for two years. How nice that, you know, we still cut that and sell it and um, ship it out and guys reorder it. I mean, that just, that reminds me, I mean, think about the uh, times in our life where, you know, God, you and I are guilty big time of all this, of wearing really bad clothing. Oh, you know, yeah. Clothes from the 90s <laughs> and the late 80s. Ay, ay, No doubt. But, you know, this is again. This isn't that. You learn. You learn sometimes more from a negative experience than a positive. So in yeah. some weird way, I mean, we we all circle back to some classic look yeah. in our life. And and mine is you know, is uh, you know, some of my early days of dressing in high school, um, kind of preppy, kind of surf, kind of military. You right. know, nothing's changed. I mean, look at right. across the table at Tony right now. He's got this awesome nylon military uh, nylon camo Japanese uh, pullover hoodie based on a silhouette that guys our age wore as preppies in the 80s of this uh, sort of uh, kangaroo pocket Lacoste uh, hoodie that you'd wad up in the in the front pouch and put it in your golf bag or something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So we tip our hat to that stuff all the time. And as far as like 
you know, how are we going to grow this thing? Well, it's, first of all, um, the hell with the guy that, you know, we completely dialed in and then goes out and shops like never shops with, with again, even if you had a bad experience, that's one thing, but I think guys are so loyal and, and they will support us because they had a good experience and the quality was there and everything. Yeah. Maybe we, maybe we did repair those jeans like you mentioned earlier, you know, we don't really charge for that and, and all these things. And so they keep buying. I mean, ultimately this is cotton stuff, right? And it does wear out and you got to buy another one. So yeah. they'll keep, they'll keep with us. And yeah. then they, maybe they tell a buddy, and, you know, and all that. And it's kind of like, you know, I was just thinking of the whole, remember being a kid in water skiing where you're scared shitless, you're behind that boat and you give them the thumbs up and you're up and you're on two skis and you do that for a couple of days. And you're like, man, I got to try the single ski. And then you finally get up on a single ski and you just don't go back to a double ski ever. You know, it's like, <laughs> you just, you're yeah. so excited. Or even like from a boogie board, you know, to a surfboard, like I ain't boogie board anymore. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a surfer now, you know, there's right. so much pride in that and appreciation. So this is, this is kind of that, you know, like yeah. you taste the fruit, you have a go at it and you support it. And, and, and being, you're talking to the, to the company here. It's like, Jesus, we don't need, we don't need to, you know, go knock on uh, Macy's or Bloomingdale's door. You know, we, we have our army, you know, with, yeah. and, and, and our lights are still on. So do we, we're businessmen too. We certainly want to grow things, but um, yeah. it's, it's very, very organic. Um, and, and boy, that's, that's just satisfying to, to, at our age and where we are in life, to have what we have and how we went about it and, and got it. Yeah. So right, and, and right. Another thing, before we even started this conversation, I processed an online order from a customer who, if I do an analysis of this one guy's purchases from us in the last five years, it's probably 40 things. He bought a sweater, a turtleneck sweater we made in Italy just now. Yeah. It's beautiful. And right. He, he, we, we, we've made those mainly for the European market. We, we probably brought in eight of those for our own use on our website. And this guy bought one and he, he's even buying stuff when he lived in Minnesota. Now he lives in Portland. You know, this guy's so these guys, they, like Pete said, they're very loyal because yeah. from day one, our, our whole philosophy has been, cause we knew we weren't going to spend money on marketing. Cause any, and the reason is, is many fold. But one is because I think people know that anybody that has money can buy an advertisement, but we always thought that our best uh, representation of our brand and our beliefs was our distribution. So yeah. if, if every store, if every brand in the world wants to be in this particular store and we're in there, then that's a, that's a calling card for us and it shows to our quality, but also it's, it's our consistency and our service, you know? And so as Pete said, we're getting, we're getting to be, do things old school just because the way we, we prefer, we personally prefer it, but you know, we'll call people all we call consumers all the time. Am I getting an email from a guy with a really involved question? My first response to him via email is give me your phone number. I don't want to sit here and type for five minutes. <laughs> I'm just going to call you. Yeah. We're going to figure it out in about two minutes. And then within another minute, here comes a, an order on our site from the same guy I just spoke to because you want him over. Yeah, for sure. It's been ironed out, you know, it's yeah. been put out very easily and we're done and you know, we move on. And, and, and so, you know, um, we fully, we're fully aware of the fact that the way we do things is not inexpensive. And right. we believe that with that um, should come good service, whether it be post-purchase or pre-purchase. Um, and part of that is communicating with the user. And so do we love getting an order from our distributor in Germany for, you know, 400 pair? Yes, but we also love getting on the phone with a guy who we know is a new, new customer online possibly of ours in Oklahoma and talking to the guy and walking him through it, you know? Right. Um, cause you know, not only is he going to, we we're confident enough in our product. We know he's going to have a good experience with it, but also he's also going to tell his friends about it. And probably maybe one of those guys will get on board too, you know? Yeah. I hope, I hope our, our audience are, of young budding entrepreneurs that are, that are listening to this are really paying attention to what you guys are saying. And again, when we talk about, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk, you know, you're, you guys are doing it. There's no doubt. And we, we've all, we're a little longer in the tooth now. And, and just like you said, it's sort of like, you know, if, if you were to increase that business and double your sales, all of a sudden now you're, you're hiring people and your costs are going up. And then the next thing you know, you're chasing your tail and your margins are even less than they originally were. So your top line sales are better, but you know, your profits are less. Whereas you guys sort of have this great um, restraint on the methodology, and and it's it's very 
it's very telling and I, I think it was Pete that said you know it does allow or no Tony that, that each of you do get to sort of touch and feel each pair that goes out and there's a certain amount of love and sentiment along with that and I think when brands grow uh, or start looking at purchase orders and getting starry eyed that goes away so the, the fact that you guys are the gatekeepers of this I think is is a really important lesson for those guys out there that are just thinking like they're doing their projections and they're like we're going to be here in three years and we're going to be here in five years and listen I'm guilty I, you know I was sitting on top of a business and couldn't wait to launch a new division to capitalize on a market that couldn't get enough of our brand and did we get delusive? Yeah, we definitely made some mistakes. And and you you know when when you have you know a few things that are working, oh let's exploit that opportunity. Let's go bigger. You know, given the opportunity to do that again, I think I would have shown a lot more restraint than than what we did back then. But you know, it's that ship well, sailed. <laughs> well, there's no doubt, Ryan. I mean, uh, bigger is not always better. It's Absolutely. Great. You know, more problems, uh, headaches. Uh, yeah, you're right. That the, the it's it's simply a fact that if, if the company grows really quickly, you can lose sight of what got you there, you know, um, because what brought people to, in our case, our brand, if we start, start spending too much time trying to become all things to all people, uh, then the people who brought us to where we are are going to be less served well, yeah, you know. right. And, uh, and I, people always ask me, what brand do I respect the most? And it's a brand that I don't even own any of their products, and that's Ferragamo. Why? Because... They started out with Salvatore Ferragamo in Florence, Italy, making shoes by hand himself. And now it's a $2 billion family-owned business, you know. And during the economic crisis in, in Europe and here also in the late 2000s, they, they weren't one of those brands that made it offline in China to, to, you know, keep their market share at a lower price. They just, they just rolled with it, and they never, they never wavered on their quality. They're still the only Italian or French, for that matter, luxury brand, quote-unquote luxury brand, that 100% of all their components come from Italy. So if you buy a, a bag of theirs, the zipper was made in Tuscany, most likely, because they're supporting the family that they've been doing business with for two, two or three generations, you know? And um, right. I just re- respect that a lot. You know, I don't have any of their products. It's not really my deal. Who else does that, you know? And so one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is having a really narrow list of vendors. In other words, we get all of our fabric from cone mills and the denim side and indigo. We have a couple different people we work with from Japan for our black denim and other fabrics. We have one factory in San Francisco. We make a few things in Italy with our guy from Germany. Um, but you know, I have one label guy. I get our leather patches from Tanner goods in Portland. You know, it's like, I want to become meaningful in our own small way to really hand-selected people and I'm not going to chase saving two cents on a label just to get it from someone else. I want to, you know, I want to become as valuable as we can to the people we work with and I want to see them remain in business. I mean, the exactly. factory that makes our jeans, I've known since 93 and they've been in business for 30 plus years. It started with a father and daughter with two sewing machines. Now they're the last remaining blue jeans factory in San Francisco. So of course we're going to do everything we can to keep them in business, not only for our own interests, but for their employees' interests and the history of denim. You know? Right. Here, no, mean, you're talking about partnerships, right? This right. this is not a sort of adversary kind of thing. It's it's not a hey, can I squeeze my vendor for two more cents? That what when we start getting there, I mean the the that partnership goes away and it turns into a this combative business relationship that ultimately ends up in a negative place for both. Exactly. In fact, Ryan, you know, I've seen. I mean, we're 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 our factories year over year, largest customer. You know, at one moment there may be another brand in there that's making more at that particular moment. But at the end of every year, I think they'd tell you we we made the most. You know, and yet I've seen guys in there who have never seen before making two hundred pieces, yelling at them for some mistake. Yeah. And I'm like, that ain't going to end well. You know, because <laughs> when they make, when they no. make a mistake on our product, we we just say, hey, look at this, look what happened. Yeah. And, they say, oh, okay, well, here's what we'll do to make sure that never happens again. For instance, occasionally some jeans would come in. We all, we all we only do button fly, and there was just no, there was button hole because that part was done in the sewing process, but then one of the last things to be done is the buttons being put on, and on an occasional pair, there would be no buttons on the fly. They would somehow just get skipped or whatever. So now, what do they do? On every pair, they're required before they put it in the box to button the middle button on the fly, and if their button's not there, obviously they go put it on. So yeah. since that one moment, 
eight years ago, we haven't had one parent with us because they, we took measures, but it wasn't about right. screaming at them. They're right. just an honest mistake, you know? Um, right. And it's just about doing better the next time and in the future, you know? But there's no reason to yell at people. I mean, it's just... Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. Hey, are you guys allowed... To, am, I allow, am I allowed to name the retailer that, that wants to sell your product? But you've... I mean, you mentioned Macy's and Bloomingdale's. Well, I, know, I know who you're talking about. I don't want to burn any bridge. Yeah, uh, let's not I'll, go there. I, but let me, let me just say this, though, regarding something like that. You know, Pete and I um, have a lot of experience in this industry, not just in our own time here with our brand, but with other brands, whether it being selling or, in my case, having a brand in the past and denim in the 90s. Um, you know, we are really keen and have a really good eye for the kind of stores that can sell our product. And so how great from a big retailer with many dozens of stores around the country and big, beautiful stores that wants our product, uh, how great to get a half a million dollar order from them. You know, we know that their guy is not our guy and it's not about money. Yeah. It's about using the product. I mean, I think Pete would agree with me. If you buy our jeans and you don't wear them, they're not worth the money. They need to be used to be worth it because they're not cheap and they take time to break in, you know? And, and so we know why they want the product because they like the story made in San Francisco. They see it in all these great, our product, all these great stores around the world. We're very consistent in what we do, but we know that they'll get in there. They may sell a few, but eventually they're going to end up on a rounder, you know, a round rack half off. And we're going to have to answer questions from all these great boutiques around the world. Why our core product we make year in, year out, year in, year out is on half off. You know, it's just not a game we want to play because it's, the big, it's, it's, it's very short term thinking, you know? I love Brian, that. I love Brian, that. I had a call. I got a call from, uh, I guess we're not talking about chain stores right now. <laughs> Let's just say a, a reputable, and very nice department store that's across the country. And, you know, it's always flattering to say your stuff looks good or, you know, to hear nice things, whoever says it, you know, if that's in the spirit of compliments, you know, great. You know, whether you're doing business with them or not, or whether a consumer or a buyer or, you know, marketing person. And, and I just, you know, I mean, this experience we've had in the business gives us a, a leg up sometimes. And this is one of those moments. And, so I get this call and I mean, man, we'll talk to anybody, you know, you, you could be JC Penney's, you call us, we'll pick up, Hey, yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> wow. It's really flattering. You're calling us. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then it gives us a chance to explain ourselves. Right. Sure. And, and, and they'll probably think most of the time say, Oh wow, this is, you know, this is, uh, not for us, but wow. Interesting, you know, company or whatever. Right. And I remember, um, and maybe this buyer wasn't ready for it, but I just said, I kind of go, well, let me ask you some questions here. And the first question I asked this buyer that called that wanted in was, have you ever heard of our brand before? You know what she said? She said no. Oh, man. Right. This woman, I'll bet she's responsible for um, half, I'll bet she's responsible for like a $300 million denim uh, sales annually. And she's calling us, and I just thought, Good God, thank God I asked that question. <laughs> no, this is going to be a pretty short conversation. Yeah. And I'm not angry or anything. I'm just like, man, you have a lot of responsibility on your plate, woman. And um, I, yeah. would, I would suggest that you really dive deep and do a little, even a little bit of homework before you pick up the phone and call anybody for your own sake and your own career. You know, um, if you're not, ta- if you're not, if you're talking about things you don't know about, then you're just, you're just blowing a lot of hot air, don't you think? You know, I mean, we should only talk about the things that we know a lot about and the rest is just fluff. And um, so in my opinion, it's like, how the hell are you ever going to have be successful with our product and, uh, and then, you know, and, and have a go with it. So, you know, you just partnerships, whether they're making your clothing or selling it, man, you better, you got to really wring out that towel and sort things out and really have a proper exchange with, with everybody involved to, to, to have a chance. And if you don't, then you're just going to fall on your face and you can't rewind that clock. And when that stuff ends up on a sale rack and some outlet, you know, you are screwed. You right. know, someone's going to see that and that's it. It's over. And guys, again, so f- for those listening, what, what these guys are talking about at Telesyn is, you know, most brands don't receive inbound phone calls and inquiries and or purchase orders flying in from major retailers to bring in the product. The apparel game out there now is a really difficult game and there's a ton of solicitation and a lot of... Um, begging, really, and what what? So these guys are being super humble when they're saying they're receiving these calls and they're turning on purchase orders. 
that's some serious gravity. That's some serious gravity that these guys are talking about, and they're being very humble in how they're how they're explaining and taking this approach to um, turning down some some key retailers. But well, my point is, most of the brands out there would die for these opportunities. That the and I don't think these guys. You can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in their story. It's not a I'm better than you, and it's not an I'm an elitist kind of thing. It, it's in fact, it's it's about preservation and quality and these things that we're hearing and partnerships and, and getting one person at a time on board. And I just, those are the kind of takeaways. Where, like when I hear you guys' stories, it just get me just stoked because the people brands don't they just don't think that way now. And I, I as we we heard earlier, we don't really know where it's sort of gone awry. Maybe it's. You know, the advent of this whole Kardashian social media thing that has just turned into this product slanging, you know, yeah. a glut. I don't I don't know, but you guys are out there fighting the good fight and, and much respect. So I'd like to take a minute, unless you wanted to add to that, but otherwise I think it might be neat to, um, if, you know, give a, a little bit of a, a, a satorial um, side of, of the business because obviously you guys are, you know, your, your denim experts are super well versed and um, maybe we could maybe we could talk some style. We could we could for those listening um, that are interested in, in your product and or what to look for uh, in a pair of jeans, um, to how to tailor them, to how to wear them, how they should how they should break, all those kind of things. You guys wanna you wanna do that? Yeah, I mean Ryan, for me it's really about starting with a raw pair of jeans. And I know that a lot of people have not done that um, ever maybe because it's it's uh, most jeans are every, uh, first of all, hundred percent of jeans that are cut and sewn in the world start out just like ours are sold, which is cut and sewn, and then we stop. Ninety nine point nine percent of the rest of the jeans in the world, whether at a high price or a commodity price, are, are then chemically treated, water treated, and and uh, factory treated to make to make them look like a pair that people look like a year later. You know, right. So, but we're big believers in raw denim for many reasons. One being that you get a unique pair of jeans to you in your life, and you get a wear pattern that's unlike any other pair of jeans in the world. But also, the denim can fit you better over time. It starts out a little rigid, obviously. It takes a couple of weeks to break in, but once you do that, they're, um, they're, they're a custom pair, and they're unique to you because they, um, they mold to your body at that point. The other thing about it that's really important to us with regard to using raw denim versus chemically and water processed jeans is that it's much more environmentally friendly. You know, I mean, there's no getting around the fact yeah, that true. there's no getting around the fact that the, the growing of cotton to produce jeans or anything else is water intensive. Um, but what we can do and our customers do is to not use much water after the jeans are made. Um, we're not those guys in the raw denim world. They never wash your jeans, but you don't need to wash them every time you wear them. That's, that's for sure. And it, it, you know, the fact is that our, our process and our consumers use of our product uses a lot less water than a pair of jeans, whether they cost $20 or, or 400, if they're been treated that to be, uh, more fashionable, let's say. Um, so for us, it's really about finding, a good pair of raw jeans, and we're, we're, we're certainly not the only company that makes good raw jeans, um, but find a pair that you like the fit of, um, and then just wear them a lot. That's the thing. You know, it's, I mean, the analogy to use would be like a proper pair of, of boots or something. You know, At the beginning, they're stiff. Uh, you know, They take a while to break in. Once they do, they're the best jean, uh, boots you ever had. It's the same thing with jeans like this. You know, um, But you got to put the work in. Yeah, I've heard about you know, guys like sleeping in them. Is that, I mean, yeah, people, that, people do some crazy things, Ryan. They throw them in the they throw them in the freezer if they smell a little bit. Yeah, um, is that a MythBuster thing? I mean, is there? I, yeah, I did. Yeah, it sounds like it doesn't. That doesn't no. hold up. No, it doesn't. I mean, it, you know, maybe right when you pull them out of the freezer, the, the smell went away because the bacteria is frozen. But it, once it thaws out, it's going to stink again. And just wash them if they stink, you know. Right. Um, and no. And uh, and so you know basically. You know, the point is, is that um, start with a good raw pair that fit you well. They're only going to fit you better over time and and feel better and be more comfortable as you break them in and they mold to your body. And then, uh, you know, again, use them. If you don't, like I said earlier, if you don't use our jeans, they're not worth the money, period. Because um, then it's just a lot of money sitting in your closet. So use them, you know. Ryan, at a, yep. a poignant point about raw denim 
versus prefabricated uh, old looking jeans. Um, man, it just if you went, you, you have your eye on some really nice car for a long time. You're excited. You're kind of a car person. You go in there. You're just giggling with um, excitement, and then just seconds before you shake the salesperson's hands, they throw you the keys. You say, oh, 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 "Hold on a minute. Here's three thousand dollars. I want you to make this BMW look three years old." You know? <laughs> oh, it's like, but that's what people do with denim. That's they a great make point. It look old. Yeah. They didn't. You know, I'm going to be the one that puts that French fry under that seat, you know? Right, right, right. You know, and it's, uh, yeah. it's, 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 it really is, I mean, it, as Tony said, it is the market. So it's not like there's, well, half of us like raw denim. No, no one likes raw denim, barely. You know, it's just like, yeah. it's so rare to see a guy understand this and do it. I mean, they're certainly out there. We wouldn't be in business otherwise. But it's isn't it just bizarre how people took to this and, and I, and I kind of narrowed it down. I was working in a department store in the mid eighties and I saw that, I saw that wave of acid wash and pre everything. I mean, prior to that, literally, I think, I think in the certain, the, up until like the really early eighties and I graduated high school in 83. I mean, we were still going to the shop and buying, you know, a pair of five Oh ones for school. Yeah. So it quickly after that though, it, it really changed. The market changed drastically and it had to do with new wave music and videos and MTV and all that stuff. So, so there went the market and it really didn't reel itself back in. And that's, you know, I guess that's okay. Cause I don't care what other people, what they think about or what music they listen to. That's their business. But if you think about it, it's like, wow, man, it's, we really got squirrely there in the eighties. Right? <laughs> right. And, and it's still squirrely. I mean, it's almost more squirrely. Now you see the girls, uh, especially and the guys with the multiple holes, yeah. red pair in the front yeah. and some weird saddle sanding in the back. that is just abominable. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific to me and I can't take in a way. I, am I so, I think I'm so shallow that I, I don't know if I can take this person seriously, you know, uh, on a personal <laughs> or business level, you're making that kind of decision, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, Ryan, in the SB thing, I mean, in order to accommodate those fashion desires that you see on jeans these days, all that costs money to do, whether it be money in handwork or chemicals or water. And therefore, in order to sell mass quantities of that <coughs> style of denim in big retailers, you cannot possibly use good fabric because you just that's just a component that would add to the price dramatically. You cannot make it in a proper factory because proper factories cost a lot of money, you know? And it's just a remarkable that, that, like Pete said, I mean, people get somewhere, you know, it, then it went from being, you know, this utilitarian workwear and then into fashion product, but rugged into this pajama thing, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. So, I, I just don't get it, but no. that's, we're, we're narrow on our focus, I guess. No, I, I hear you guys. Um, so real quick on, on if you're going to wash jeans, give us some washing instructions that you guys feel preserve the, the integrity the longest. Okay. Turn the jeans inside out. Wash them either by hand in a tub with cold water and any soap is fine. I know there's a lot of quote-unquote denim washing soaps out there. I've never used those. I just use whatever we have for laundry. And let them air dry. It's really the most important component is to keep them out of the dryer. Um, and also, I actually wash mine the first time by hand in a tub just to see. It's usually about four, after four to six months of wear. I just want to see what's going to come off the first time. Um, but then after that, I actually just put them in the, in, the, in the machine by themselves inside out with cold water and the delicate cycle. And I, I want to make sure people understand when, when I say use the delicate cycle or hand wash, it's not because the fabric cannot handle Right. Any, right. It's tough fabric. Right. It's just that what happens with denim, especially raw denim, if it gets spun too much, that's why a top-loading machine is not good because they spin like crazy. Um, and it's, it's, it's better to use the delicate cycle because raw denim, um, when when it rubs against itself, can cause a, its own little abrasion thing. So you want to keep that rubbing itself against itself to a minimum. But yeah, cold water wash, air dry is key. Dryer, you know, when you get a pair of raw jeans, and you wear them for three, four, five, six months before you wash them. When you do a cold water wash and air dry, they actually retain that shape that you put in that 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 molding to your body thing I was talking about earlier. Yeah, put them in a dryer. That that all goes away. Dryers they're hot and violent, and <laughs> right, it's not a place for jeans. You know, right. All that hard earned work to shape those right. things just goes away. 
right. For me, Ryan, I I I, uh, I wear mine in the shower. Is my is my jam? Are you um, serious? Yeah, and, and not to be clever or whatever, <laughs> but if you if you if you break it down, you're gonna take a shower anyway, right? Um, <laughs> you, you have all those liquid, nice liquid soaps. Yeah, you know, right there, and so it's kind of a win, <laughs> kind of a win win, but also <laughs> like. Um, so I, I'll, you know, no undies and you just throw them on and then no belt or whatever. And, and man, they get heavy. I wear our 16 ounce denim and it's, 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 it's wicked heavy when they get filled with warm water and then, but whatever. And then you let them, I kind of do my business in the shower and then I, uh, then I get the soap and I just, you know, kind of wash them like I'm washing my skin. And, and then, um, and so they're like, it's sort of three dimensional. So it's still on your body. And then you make sure, obviously, you rinse all the soap out. And then I, uh, then I just, I take them off and I hang them up. I don't wring them out or anything. I just hang yeah. them up, and they're really heavy and they're yeah. dripping like crazy. Right. But by the, uh, depending on the weather, you know, they dry really well and they're sort of articulated all will already. Right. Cool because you just had them on. Right. Versus like a flat, you know, uh, flat Stanley. Yeah, I know who that is because you have kids, right? Right. Have you read the flat Stanley books? Sure. Okay. But and, and and then again the flatness and the dryness of a of a tub of a pair that's been washed in a machine or tub, it all works out because you're putting them on, you're running around town, whatever. But um, I really do like how they how they clean up in the shower for some reason. And and I wear mine big, so if they do shrink a tiny bit, other guys wear them tight. That maybe that's not a good idea. So there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, and mine in the end, as Tony said, like. If they smell dirty and kind of feel dirty, they are dirty. Wash them somehow, and that's just how I do it. Yeah, that's a great tip. I've never, I've never heard that one, and and it's kind of ludicrous as it sounds. <laughs> There's also a lot of common sense to it too. So thanks for sharing that one. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we could kind of get in. I, 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 maybe I, you know, I had kind of had all these, you know, sort of hipster terms. You know, what does double ring spun mean? What does red salvage mean? But you know what, guys? If you guys want to learn about denim, go look those things up. Educate yourselves. These guys obviously know the answers to those things. And I feel like, you know, if you guys really want to take a deep dive in denim um, that are listening, go do so. Um, I think we've we've learned a lot from these guys today. Um, Tony and Pete, do you guys have anything you, you want to share uh, before we kind of get into how guys can find you and find the product? Uh, I would just say, in general, consume less, but consume better in every category of your life. Um, yeah. You know, we, it's always amazing to me that people, you know, they appreciate quality and provenance and and um, materials in one part of their life and not every part. You know, they eat, eat proper food, they drive a great car, have a great house, and they, they buy their jeans at you know, Walmart. I don't get it. But really, just consume less, but consume better. And also, on a personal level, I like to reward companies and people, whether it be a restaurateur or a coffee guy or a furniture company, I like to re- reward people mm. with my money because I have a choice where I spend it to do things the right way. And maybe if it costs a little bit more, I wait a month or two before I can afford it, you know. But I want to reward people who still do things the right way because the race to the bottom is fast. And yeah. I, want to, I, want to, I want the guys to and, and, the, and the people who do things the old way to sustain themselves. And all you can do in that way is to support them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that if, you know, for us, uh, whether it's um, really figuring out who made what and where and the Providence and all that um, made in us, whatever your thing is, you know, I mean, support it. And and sometimes you're supporting it, you know, or, or thinking that you, you can't, if it's a company you like, I'll give you an example. Vans has a run of made in USA sneakers out there right now. Do you know that? I didn't. Um, and you know, Ryan class and my brother-in-law, who you know, yeah. um, works there and I'm sweating, believe me, I sweat him hard for years. Like, come on, man, you, you, <laughs> you can do what you want. You yeah. know, what does Vans want to do? Yeah. But man, I mean, of course our memories for owning some fans and for me going into Lakewood at the van shop, I think it was in Lakewood or Long Beach, um, and ordering a custom pair back mm-hmm. when I was a kid. These are things I don't want to let go. Um, right. but I've kind of let Vans go because they're just like, come on, the race to the bottom, you know, yeah. margins first and all that. Um, well, lo and behold, they did a run, you know, of, of some of some sneakers. And I've, you know, I've got a pair now. So it's like I kind of held out and maybe maybe enough squeaky wheels out there led the powers at VF Corp yeah. and Vans management to like, you know, we talked about this once in a while. Let's just go ahead and do it. And yeah. then, I mean, 
so and they did and now now I get to talk about it and wear them and if I'm if someone asks like oh yeah check it out look at this American flag and these are made here you know it's just I just love it and that's that's me rewarding bands in, in the smallest of ways but um, if, if you don't then then you can't be sad about those companies closing you can't be sad about the mom and pop cafe closing your town when and be, you can't be sad about it if you went across the street and went to that devil at starbucks you know it's just yeah. you can't walk both lines hey guys before i let you guys go um we have a, a new segment for the show it's called questions from my kids so my daughter uh josie age eight she wants to know uh if you guys have made denim underwear pete uh, had a special run <laughs> of stretch denim songs made for his special event that he was attending That's it. <laughs> you know it's summertime you need the extra uh, breeze breeze in the buns uh, so the answer is yes actually uh, Great question there, Josie. All right, right. And Jack wants to know a little bit more simply uh, what your favorite pair of jeans are that you guys make. Right now, the ones I'm wearing are our Sheffield fit, the mid-rise, straight tapered, and I'm really pleased with it. Um, mine is a, this might be day, this might be the uh, jour final, if you know what I mean. My, if you saw them, you're like, God, are you a hobo? I mean, they're really old, hammered, threadbare pair of jeans that, of course, I did myself. But they're three years old now, and, you know, I, uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a denim owner, but I don't like new jeans at all. So I really, I really milk the old ones, and I repair the hell out of them. Yeah. And this, my style, my style right now for the last three years has been this, it's called the Ankara Fit, and it's, um, it's just an old-school straight leg jean, uh, you know, kind of long, heavily cuffed with lots of holes in it and worn kind of loose. That's my thing. I don't know what I'm going to do next because, you know, I only do one pair. I better, I don't know if I want to do the same or go somewhere else, but uh, that's my jam right now. Awesome. Great answers, guys. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, it's totally been a pleasure. I got a smile on my face. It's nice to have a great conversation with you guys. Um, and for those of you who uh, want more from Brevity Code, we've obviously got some great shows coming up. Uh, check us out on Instagram, uh, Brevity Code Show, and of course, uh, brevitycode.com. And find the show on iTunes or on the website. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, We'll see you soon.